Good morning again. Uh, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading uh, a little bit of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 17 of Romans 8. And while you're turning there, uh, we're continuing our sermon series this morning on the values in our church. We've talked about two of them already. And today we come to the third one, which is healthy spirituality. And this is how we have put it as we think about our values. We say this, in a culture of high standards and unrelenting expectations, we commit to a life in the Holy Spirit characterized by worship, calling, obedience, rest, and joy in the gospel. And so it's fitting that we read Romans 8 this morning, as you will see in a moment. But will you stand with me as we read God's word? Romans 8, verses 1 through 17. And listen to what Paul has to say as he talks about life in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Pray with me as we step into this. 
Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for your grace and your mercy. Father, we ask for your spirit to give us understanding. I ask for you to speak through me and to give us listening ears and that you may focus our minds and our hearts upon you. Help us to understand more and more what does it mean to be, have healthy spirituality, to be healthy spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. Using a drink coaster as a hammer or the back of a drill, using a butter knife as a pry bar, using your trash can to prop up your mailbox, using extension cords to secure the luggage to the roof rack of your car. What do all these have in common? Jury rigging, right? Jury rigging. Taking something that was not designed for how you were using it, and you're using it and making it work as long as you can. You may not know this, but the term originates, it's a nautical term, and it describes the action of temporary makeshift repairs made only with the tools and materials on board the boat. Right? So that's why when we're in the middle of a project and we have our hand on this, we're reaching for something else to make this work so that you know, it can hold for a while. Well, the, the point is we're all jury riggers in life. We're all jury riggers in life. Practically speaking, I've done a few of these. I'll leave you to your imagination as to which ones. But we also we try to make life work by using things contrary to how they're designed in hopes that they will bring us the peace and the balance, and the joy that we want. We want to be healthy, but we use things in this world contrary to how they were designed in hopes to achieve balance and peace. And so what happens is work can become oppressive. Rest, it can become very elusive. Worship can become self-serving. And enjoyment can become insatiable. There's a lot to unpack there, and we'll, we'll talk through that. But we were not created for this. Our world was not designed for this. What do I mean? Well, we serve a God who designed and he created uh, and sustains this world. He thought it up, he created it, and he keeps things in motion. He holds all things together down to the subatomic particles. And we, and this world, we have a design in a way that functions and works best. And that includes building even the rhythms of work, rest, worship, enjoyment into this world, into us. That's why, for example, we need sleep. You can't live without sleep. We were designed for it. God has designed things this way. And so what I want to do this morning is let's trace the redemptive and creative lines of our God. And let's look at this healthy spirituality. And let's, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the design, the redesign, and the restoration. And so let's look at the design. Well, you know before you build, you have to have some idea in your mind of what you are building, what you are creating. Too many of us, too many times, have probably attacked a project without thinking it through right? And then thus ensues the 50 trips to Home Depot, uh, back and forth again, because you hadn't thought it through before. Oh yeah, this is what I need. Well, God thought up and he spoke this creation into being. 
He created it. He ordered it. He built it with the rhythms of work, of rest, of worship, and of enjoyment. How so? Where do we see that? Well, if you go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 through 30, we see how God creates Adam and Eve on the sixth day in his image with dignity and with purpose. Uh, He tells them to exercise dominion and stewardship over his creation and to be fruitful and to multiply over all the earth. And Adam and Eve had purpose and they had work to do, good work to do. And it's not, work is not a result of sin. You know, at that point in time, you get a 100% rate of return on your efforts. Work is good. It was meant to be rewarding and satisfying. And we're also designed for rest. And this also is before sin. If you look at Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3, we read how God rested after creating. Not because he was tired, but because he had built those rhythms into his creation. So that, that's why later on in Exodus 20, if you look at Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments are given, the fourth commandment is honor the Sabbath day by keeping, by, uh, keeping it holy, by a holy resting that day. And so we were designed for this, our bodies, our minds, our souls. Uh, we were designed for this. We need rest and refreshment in order to carry on, and we know this. But not only work and rest, we're also designed to worship. We are worshipers. We will worship someone or something. We were designed and created for it, and he created us to worship him and to find satisfaction in that. In a pre-sin world, from the time Adam and Eve were created, they had perfect communion with God, perfect relationship, which is hard to understand, especially in our broken relationships. In Genesis 3, 8, and 9, it presupposes a relationship before sin that Adam and Eve and God had regular uh, time together on a regular basis. But after sin enters, even after this, we see it. We see worship with Adam and Eve's two boys, Cain and Abel. They bring things to sacrifice to God. Well, Cain brings the fruit of the ground and Abel brings um, a flock or something from his uh, firstborn of his flock. And the Lord has regard for Abel, but not for Cain. But yet a little later on, we see people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the point is, is that we were created for worship. Worship was from the very beginning, pre-sin and even after sin, created to worship him and him alone. We were created for communion, relationship with God, where he's receiving our worship because of who he is, what he has done, and what he has said. And it's what we are to do in our daily lives. It's what we're actually doing this morning here together as God's people, right? As we come together to receive from him, to, to hear from him, to give back worship, we come together. But this list of worship, rest, and worship, it's not going to be complete without enjoyment. Can't forget enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy what he has given to us. You know, he even told Adam when he put him in the garden that he could eat of every tree of the garden except for one. Yes, for food, but also for enjoyment. Think about it. He had varieties of food. And think about this, right? God didn't have to give us taste buds, right? He could all give us this nutritious gray goop. 
that would be everything we need. Or he could just have created us no need for food at all. He's given us these things for enjoyment. And these things he's placed, and the scriptures talk about this, about how God provides us richly with everything to enjoy. But even more so, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. Did he not? That gift, Jesus himself, uh, there is joy in Christ who gave us himself through salvation. There is a joy there. That's why, like, our, our verse for the church, John 15, 11, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full, because we have him. God originally designed this world to work best with these rhythms of work, rest, worship, and enjoyment. But sin has come in and has corrupted it. Working can become oppressive. Resting becomes elusive. Worship can become self-serving. And enjoyment can become insatiable. In 1938, or I should say from 1938 to 1940, uh, the Tacoma's Narrow Bridge was constructed. For those of you who are engineer majors, I think, if I understand correctly, it was probably one of your case studies that you probably had to look at. So you guys can explain this to all of us later on. But anyways, the project cost $11 million uh, to build, and it was nicknamed the Galloping Gertie. Why? Well, because it collapsed four months after opening for public use. The bridge spanned the nearly mile-wide Puget River, I think I pronounced that right, making it the third longest suspension bridge in the world, right behind the Golden Gate Bridge and the George Washington Bridge. But its length was not what made it so amazing, so famous. It was that under even moderate wind speeds, the bridge would undulate like a sine wave, Like this, that's right. I see people making that movement back there. Construction workers noticed problematic bucking even while while building the bridge, leading to its famous nickname. And the original designer, uh, he intended to create greater stability, but the cost was exorbitant. It was like $200 million by today's standards. And so they did a more standard design, um, but with these plate girders that gained approval. And this stuff I'm not going to understand, but I'll read it for you. The girders though were only one-third the height of the originally proposed trusses, which resulted in a disproportionate depth-to-width ratio. As a result, then, the bridge was extremely um, flexible and vulnerable to high speeds, winds. And so what happened was 40-mile-an-hour wind came by on November 7, 1940. The bridge started to twist and buck wildly, and the bridge finally snapped, supporting cables dropped into the river below. And there you have it. Sin has tried to redesign God's original design. Much like the bridge, you can't go against God's laws that are designed into this world without incredible damage. In our value of healthy spirituality, we speak of these high standards and unrelenting expectations that are in this world. And they're incredibly high and they're nonstop. And I know many of you deal with that on a daily basis. And this isn't necessarily healthy. You see, God created this world to have healthy demands, right? The demands of a good work ethic, working hard, working intelligently, working efficiently, working to discover, working to create, 
We were made for this design. But when sin attaches itself to anything good, it corrupts it. It corrupts it. And so we have these unhealthy demands of the world. And it can manifest with an insatiable appetite of more money, more power, more influence, more control. But then along with that also comes a fear too. A fear that if we don't work hard enough, we will not advance. We won't thrive. We won't survive. And these all work against the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things work against those. And it's an insatiable appetite because sin tempts and he deceives us. That if we can only have these things, then we'll be okay. We'll feel okay. And yes, he's given us these good things to enjoy. He really has. But when we try to make them ultimate things, we end up being revealed. Instead of enjoying them with thankfulness to Christ, we use them as an escape for pain, the ache of our longing, asking them to do what only God can do. And many times it hurts too much. It hurts too much to actually face what our longings and our ache is. And so we want to turn away from it instead of bringing it to Christ, telling him what it's doing to you, pouring out your heart to him. Psalm 22 is a great passage because David in that passage, he tells the Lord, this is what it's doing to me emotionally, physically, spiritually. God already knows all those things, but he tells them that. He brings that to him. See, it's easier many times for us just to numb out and to medicate with even good things. Sin came into this world. It did corrupt, for sure. But you know what? It didn't ruin and didn't thwart God's plan at all whatsoever. You know, if you and I were in charge, we probably would be like, okay, that's it. Let's wipe the slate clean. Let's start over completely. How many times have we, um, something breaks down in your house and you're like, ah, just throw it away. We'll buy, we'll buy a new one. Rather than spending the time to like take it apart and to fix it and to repair it. So many times we do that. But what does God do? God sets into motion an operation to restore And so what he does is he invades this world in a way that no one expected. You know, we just got done with our series on the the king of my heart, talking about the Old Testament kings. And even as we moved into the first century in like Jerusalem, they're looking for a king. But the king that they were looking for was like the king of old, a king to come in and kind of restore them militarily and politically. No one could have guessed that the God of the universe would invade through a virgin named Mary being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and that God would come in the flesh as a babe, be like us, among us, fully God, fully man. Who could have thought of that? This King of kings and Lord of lords invades in order to carry out a rescue mission a rescue mission for us, his plan to save and redeem a people. And Jesus the Christ, he comes into space and time on this planet. He's born in first century Israel. He's God in the flesh, the Son of God. And he comes and he lives a perfect life, keeping the law perfectly, 
doing what we couldn't do. And then he dies at the hands of his creation who depend upon him for their very next breath. It's astounding. He dies a death that they deserve, we deserved. And Jesus does this so that through his sacrifice, our sin is paid for and we are redeemed by putting our faith and trust in him. And what is initiated, what is started, is a beautiful restoration. A beautiful restoration that's a foregone conclusion that can't be undone. A beautiful restoration that's a foregone conclusion that can't be undone. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been redeemed and will one day be restored in full. As others have said, the power of sin has been broken in your life even though its presence is still there. We are no longer enslaved and no longer enslaved to it. Through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ, we not only have a beautiful guaranteed inheritance awaiting us, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us here and now. And this changes things. We've been changed. We have help now. And our desires and our wants within, they go back to what was God's original healthy design, that perfect relationship with him, even though sin's presence is still there. And we now, not only, we don't live in bondage to the flesh, but we live by the power of the Spirit in work, rest, worship, and enjoyment. And so we want to commit to a life of that. I want to commit to a life in the Spirit that's characterized, that's marked by these things. But what does it look like? You know, this is not easy, right, in this world. I know many of you deal with this in your jobs and positions, responsibilities. It's tough where the world is pushing for more and unrelenting in its expectations. What do you do? And this is where restoration comes in. This is where we, we talk about living by the Spirit, as Paul talks about in Romans 8, who's at work within us. See, we're not alone. We're not alone, but we do have a challenge to show our allegiance. Who will you live for? What will you live for? We are inhabited by the Holy Spirit who is working in us. And so there is hope when we are faithful even though it seems so contrary, so unrecognized, and so uncelebrated in this world. And Paul encourages us to commit by faith to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh, to walk in obedience. And that applies to work, rest, worship, and enjoyment. But how do we do this? How do we walk by the Spirit in these ways? I'm going to, let's look at these four things. The first thing we can do is work within how God designed you to glorify him. Work within how God designed you to glorify him. What do I mean by this? Yes, we are to do a great job. Work hard um, and work well and honor the Lord in what you do. Uh, be a good leader, be a good mom, be a good dad, be a good coach, counselor, engineer, etc., be all those things. But that explanation doesn't go far enough. Uh, Dan Allender says this in his book called Healing the Wounded Heart. 
I think this is instructive. He says this. He says, our calling is not a job, a career, or even a vocation. Our calling is to live out the character of God. I am a therapist, teacher, writer, and fly fisherman. That is my current set of skills and passions. But my calling is primarily about exposing the shame and contempt of the kingdom of darkness as it relates to our broken sexuality. Even more, I am called to live out and indwell the delight of God. My kingdom is focused primarily on exposing shame and elevating delight. It permeates all my writing, teaching, and activities. I have a job, but if I were to get fired or move on, my calling would not end. It would only have a new realm in which to flourish. And what he's getting at is that our calling is to glorify God, but specifically within how God has uniquely equipped and developed us as individuals made in his image. I mean, think about this for a moment. There will never be, as you are made in the image of God, there will never be another you on this planet ever again. You are the only one unique you. I know that sounds like, duh, but think about that. When God created you, he created you. And I don't just mean like there'll never be another one like you genetically. I mean your particularities, your giftings, your quirkiness, all of that. There will only ever be one unique you ever made in his image. That gives us dignity. Because we are to glorify God by pursuing our unique calling, no matter what we do. Well, what about rest? Rest is that elusive desire, the desire, the thing that we all want. Embrace rest, which is good and necessary. Embrace rest, which is good and necessary. You know, we need physical, spiritual, and emotional rest, but it's often elusive because if you feel like I feel, if you stop, the world keeps moving, you get behind, that spawns anxiety and worry, doesn't it? For example, God designed us to have a Sabbath, a day of rest each week. Sunday is that day because Jesus rose from the grave on that day, and it's a day of rest and worship, but rarely do we take advantage of it. It's a hard thing to do. You know, there's an interesting passage in Mark chapter 1 that I think speaks to, to rest and calling. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is, he's been teaching, he's been healing, he's been preaching, and he's called his disciples, his first disciples. And then we read this in verses 35 through 39. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus understands our need for rest. Here's even Jesus coming off of sleeping at night, 
So it's physical rest. And then he moves into spiritual rest of spending time communing with his Father in prayer. But sometimes I think what hinders us or keeps us busy is that we are unaware of our calling, what we are doing. Jesus knew that he was, what he was there for, and he actually noticed he left behind those who were in need. People were looking for him who legitimately needed healed, and he moves on. He doesn't say, yeah, let's stay longer. He says, no, I need to go on from here because he understands his calling. And maybe some of the reason we can't rest is because we're unaware of our calling, and therefore we can't leave things undone. We were built for physical, spiritual, and emotional rest in the Lord, to eat, to sleep, to meditate upon his word, and to pray to him. We were meant for those things. Well, lastly, what, what about worship? Worship, or not lastly, thirdly, worship. Worship with delight in who he is and what he has done. Worship with delight in who he is and what he has done. You know, we worship corporately on the first day of the week, because that's when Jesus rose from the grave. That's what we see the early church doing. You know, you can read about this, Revelation 1.10, 1 Corinthians 16.2. Uh, and we are not to neglect this, as it tells us in Hebrews 10. But we also worship throughout the week. And so whether it's Sunday or during the week, delight is actually what we are seeking. Delight. I don't know if you guys have had these moments. I hope you have had these moments. I, I imagine you have, you know, those moments where you're looking upon your spouse, your kids, your friends, a family member with like this delightful smile because either they're performing or doing something or they're playing a sport, playing, playing a game and you're watching them and you're cheering them on and there's a sense of delight in who they are and what they are doing. And you think about it, and you're, just, you're looking on, and it, and it stirs your heart inside of you. And it's like that as we think about worship. We worship with delight inside of us as we comprehend, as we understand who God is, what he has done, what he has said. It's like it's, it's looking upon him with delight. Well, lastly, enjoyment. Enjoy his good gifts that long for the gift giver. Enjoy his good gifts that long for the gift giver. You know, when we lack something, we feel our need, don't we? When there's something you, you want that you don't have, you feel that. Like, I'm hungry. I want food. You, know, you feel that lack, that longing. But the same can be true when you have good things in this world. That's why... When you're done with your vacation, you know, you know we, we just came off vacation last week. You know, there's a sense of like, you know, you're longing for something for it not to end, for it to continue. And we're longing for something that actually was never meant. We're longing for something that can actually only be satisfied in God. We're longing for something that can never be satisfied by things in this world. We feel the ache, even in the good things. But that is to point us and to orient us to God as the one who can actually satisfy us. Work, rest, worship, 
and enjoyment. We were designed for this, and things work best when we live within this design, not the attempted redesign of this world. Some of you are familiar with uh, Nicole Curtis and a show that came out in 2010 where she would go around purchasing homes in Minneapolis and Detroit, and they were usually broken down, but her goal was to rehab them and to restore them to the original. It was called Rehab Addict, and it ended in fall of 2018, and she stepped away from the spotlight. Well, in November 22, November of 2022, she talked to People Magazine about her departure and her highly anticipated return to television. And she said this, she said, I was completely burned out. There was so much time in those 10 years where I didn't get to enjoy it at all. I was stressed out. And when she was talking to the show about what she was doing, she explained that the whole process was exhausting as a young single mom. Everything you see on the show, I personally bought, picked up, put into place, ironed the curtains, everything. And when she was talking about the filming, she said it was so raw, I would wear the same clothes every day. I didn't have any makeup on. And after a while, she decided it was time to take a break, spend time with her family. And she said, I I could just be at home being a mom. And when I had a chance for that to happen, I took it because I didn't have that the first time around. And so now she returned with another show called Rehab Addict Rescue. Uh, And she says, but it doesn't come without nerves. She says, I can't lie and say that I'm not nervous about having a show back out there. I had a very chaotic 10 years. I didn't want to go down that path again. I'm hyper-focused right now on remembering where I want to be, what matters in my life, and what my priorities are. We were created for healthy rhythms of worship, work, rest, and enjoyment, but with eyes upon Christ, upon him, the one who sets our priorities and orders us appropriately according to his design. And so this morning, my question is for you to dream. Think about this this week. What could this become for you? What could this become for you in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years ahead? Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We know, Father, that you have designed this world uh, the way you have made it so that we can worship, work, rest, and enjoy it how you have designed it. Many times in this world, we have accepted the redesign the pressures and the stress. Father, teach us, show us, help us how to have our eyes upon you and to push back against that and to worship and to work and to rest and to enjoy in you. Teach us what that looks like. Be the one who is with us. Help us, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.